The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Our text today is from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. So if you have a device, if you have a Bible, tablet, it'll be up on the screen as well. But let's read together. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 1 up to 14. The word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose and his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed You are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, again, we pray for ears to hear. And we pray for hearts to follow. And God, I pray this morning for the gift of proclamation. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is our gift, we pray. Amen. So the first time I ever went to London, England, I remember walking around, seeing all the sights. I probably was a kid back then. I probably was in college. I don't remember exactly when I went, but walking and looking at all the buildings and Westminster Abbey and, and Buckingham Palace and Big Ben. And I noticed something that stuck out to me. In fact, it was this, a picture of this. Anybody know what this is? It's the London Eye. And I thought, what in the world is a giant Ferris wheel doing in London? I mean, you have Piccadilly Circus, Parliament, Big Ben, Westminster Abbey, Buckingham Palace. You can go down the list of amazing historical sites 
Then you have a Ferris wheel. And I thought to myself, this isn't the Oklahoma State Fair. This is London. What is this doing here? And then I discovered that this was no ride. This was no fair ride. In fact, this Ferris wheel reaches about a little under 500 feet up in the air. Has around 36 cars, and each car, 20 people can enter in the car, and it takes you a half an hour to go full circle around. This is no ride. The eye of London is the best view in London. Because when you get up in those, one of those cars and you start slowly going around and you get towards the top, you realize why it is there because all of a sudden you see the big picture. It looks something like this. And you could see all of London. London Bridge, Big Ben, Parliament, Westminster Abbey. You can see it all. You get the big picture. And I don't know about you, but this happens to me every time I get up in a high space. Something happens when you're down in the midst of a city like London. You get lost in the buildings and you, you, you're very much aware of yourself, right? And you can only see what's right in front of you. But when you get up high and you could see everything, you realize all of a sudden you're a part of something bigger than yourself. There's this moment that happens where you get up and you could see everything. And it changes the way you view the world. Brett and I are beginning a new series in Ephesians titled The Mystery of Us. And Ephesians is much like the eye. It gives you not just a 500-foot view, but a 35,000 foot view. In other words, it gives you a cosmic view. It gives you God's view of what's going on. And what's interesting about this text in Ephesians is that it gives us a picture of what God's doing in the world. And once you get up there to see the view from Ephesians, you realize like standing at the top of the eye or another tall building in a city, you realize you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, the text we read today, Paul is writing and he's writing to God's holy people, those people who are set apart, those people that are not common, which is what the word holy means, to be uncommon, they're set apart for a particular purpose. And he writes in Ephesians 1, 3 through the end of 14, is kind of this summary statement. So if Ephesians, this overview to what God is doing in the world, chapter 1 is kind of a summary of the overview. And what Paul does when he's writing this to the church, he doesn't say, hmm, what's appropriate to give us a good view? What's appropriate to give us something where we can see things clearly? And so he doesn't give us a big Ferris wheel. Actually, in verse 3 through 10, what he gives us is the only thing that the church should do. 
or one of the primary things the church should do. He gives us a hymn. He gives us a benediction. In fact, most scholars think that in, that in verse 3 through 10, this is a hymn or a benediction. That Paul is reciting something that in the early church they might be familiar with. That might be part of their regular worship service. That might be part of their liturgy. And so I want you to notice something in this hymn. There are lots of verbs. And there are lots of actions done in this hymn. But I want you to know much like our hymns, that all the verbs are attributed to God. God is the subject of every verb. And I want you to notice in this benediction or this hymn how it goes. Beginning in verse 3. And we follow along. We're highlighted some of these things. It says, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us and the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Notice all the verbs. They're all attributed to God. This is the church's confession. That it's God who blesses us. That it's God who chose us. That it's God has predestined us for adoption. It's God who has freely given us. It is God who has redeemed us. It is God who has forgiven us. It is God who has lavished on us His grace. And it's God who has made known to us the mystery of His will. And it's God who has purposed this in Jesus Christ. And God does all of this all of this because of what he says, this great mystery that has now been revealed to you. And here's the mystery. Here is the high point of this whole benediction. Here is the conclusion, the mountaintop, the peak, the summary of it all. This is what God is doing. This is what he's after. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here it is. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus Christ. This is the view from the top of the eye. 
This is the view from 35,000 feet that God wants us to see, is that this is what God is doing in the world, is that he's bringing all things to unity. Things in heaven and things on earth under Jesus Christ. Some translations put it this way, is that he's gathering it all up. He's gathering it all up, things in heaven, things on earth. And by the way, it's not just people. But this is what he intends. All things in heaven. All things on earth. He's gathering it up. Some translations say he's summing it up. Like he's adding it all up. He's putting it all together. And he's making and ordering it. So it's under Jesus Christ that he's bringing it all together. And in fact, all those other verbs that you see previously that the church sings and praises and recites. He's doing all these things towards this end. He's blessing us in order to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth. He chose us in order that he might bring unity to all things on heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. He predestined us for adoption in order to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. He's freely given us his grace, in order to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us and forgiven us in order to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus Christ. He has lavished his grace on us so that he might bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. The early church knew about this. This is the song they sang. This is the confession they made. In fact, you can read in early church history in the second century, a man, a leader in the church named Irenaeus, he talked about it this way. He rightly described perhaps how he viewed the world and how he made sense of this Ephesians text. He said, in Adam, what happened in the beginning in Adam was there was this bifurcation between heaven and earth. There is this brokenness, this division. Heaven and earth went in Adam. And not only did heaven and earth go, so did God and humanity. Broke apart. But not just God and humanity, because their own experience told them that humanity and humanity went, And not just humanity and humanity, but creation and humanity went. So that the whole fabric of reality. It's like when you're driving down the highway. And a truck passes you. And the gravel or a rock pops up and hits your windshield. Or better yet, when I was going here as a high school student at the Springs, my best friend at the time was driving to church and we pull up and his whole windshield is concaved in and it's just, it's a spider web. And we're like, dude, what happened? Because I was driving along and a turkey jumped out in front of me. What? A turkey? 
this. It just flew up, tried to dodge him. Because there wasn't much left of the turkey. But all of reality does that. Irenaeus says something like this, that when Adam, in the beginning when Adam had his way, heaven and earth went, all things. And so you don't just know this theoretically, you can feel it like existentially, right? You can feel the division between people. You can feel, feel the divisions between humanity and crea- between all creation. Between lion and lamb. But Irenaeus says this. He says, in Adam, heaven and earth were torn apart. But in Jesus Christ... He brought it all back together again. In fact, in Jesus Christ, Paul says, the mystery has been revealed. Jesus is the one who brings it all back together again, who gathers it all up, who sums it all up, who reconciles it together, who unites all things in heaven and earth. Think about it this way. The church has always confessed Jesus to be God. I think it would be heresy for us, if we can use that word in these days, to say, nah, Jesus wasn't God. That's our confession, right? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I think it would also be our confession to say, and Jesus Christ was fully human. Because if he was just God by himself, then he didn't really die. And if he was just only human, then he was just another human that died. But the church has always confessed that in Jesus Christ, he is fully God, fully human. Not 50-50, but 100% God, 100% human. And in Jesus Christ, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God and humanity are fully united. Do you see that? In Jesus Christ, when Jesus is born into the world, heaven and earth are reconciled again. There is no separation. In Jesus Christ, there is no separation, heaven and earth. There is no separation between God and humanity. There is no separation between creator and the created. In the incarnation of Jesus, his very being, it all comes back together again. In Jesus Christ, Jesus is God's preferred present. He is what God prefers the present reality of the world to look like. And in Jesus Christ, that is God's promised future. I don't know of a better statement than that. That Jesus is God's preferred present. He is the preferred, he is is the preference for the way God prefers the world to be. He is God's preferred present and he for sure is God's promised future. 
This is what God is doing. And he's already begun to do it in Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth have come together in Jesus Christ. Divinity and humanity have come together in Jesus Christ. He is God's preferred present. And when we look at Jesus, that's God's promised future. According to Paul in Ephesians, this is the mystery of his will that's been revealed. To unite all things in heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. So you get to the end of the hymn, the benediction. And he says this, verse 11. In him we were cho also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in accordance, in conformity with the will, with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And then he turns and he says, and you also. It's striking how he moves from we to you. And he does this because what he's interested in here, when he says we, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, because the gospel was first given to the Jews. And Paul says, we who, put, who first put our hope in Christ, we were chosen. We were God's people that weren't special because of who we are, but because God chose us for a particular purpose. And then he turns away from the we and he says, and you. Which, by the way, all of us in here are the you. You're all those Gentiles. Those dirty Gentiles. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, this is significant. And this is what really Paul gives his whole, some of his whole ministry to. It's convincing us, it's convincing the world that Jew and Gentile actually belong together. Now, we may not have that problem, or at least we don't feel that problem. But in other ways, you feel that problem. About which kinds of people belong together. And for Jew and Gentile, you couldn't think of two groups more different. This is the way they thought about each other. At least Jews thought about Gentiles. They're different ethnicity, different heritage, different upbringing, different background, different history, different knowledge, different culture, different, totally different ways about think, of thinking about the world. They were just different. And it was hard for them to imagine that they could be together. But Paul says, here's the mystery. 
Here's what's been revealed. Is that in Jesus Christ, God is bringing unity to all things in heaven and earth. And it says that he is depositing his Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a deposit for the inheritance that is to come. Now, most of the time when we hear that word inheritance, we hear maybe something like something that happens after we die or heaven. But I think the key to understanding what Paul is talking about, the inheritance, is to look back in verse 10. This is the center of it. This is the whole game right here. Here's the inheritance. The inheritance that in Jesus Christ, he's bringing it all back together. The inheritance is that humanity and divinity are back together. The inheritance is that heaven and earth are back together again. The inheritance is that humanity can come back together again. The inheritance is that creation and humanity and creation and creation can be come back together again and be whole and be made right. For this is what God is doing. In Jesus Christ, heaven and earth, Come back together again. And here's the offer of salvation to you. In him, it all comes back together again. So, from this point of view, from God's view, maybe from the book of Ephesians, we can begin to see that we are participating in something that is so much bigger than just you. The gathering, the uniting, the summing up of all things in Jesus Christ to the praise of His glory. Let's stand together and sing to the praise of His glory.